0: your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah today. Now, Isaiah is the 23rd book of the Old Testament, all right? It is the first major prophet. Um, if you're familiar with where the Psalms are in your Bible, it's kind of right in the middle. If you open up, you go to the Psalms, you're going to go four books to the right, all right? And you'll find the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter nine in the book of Isaiah. We've been asking this question all throughout the month of December. That question is this, do you adore Jesus? And I want you to think about that again this morning. Like, do you adore Jesus? Do you love Jesus Christ? And I know that what most of us are prone to do is to answer that question with a resounding yes, but what I want you to do today is I want you to take a step back. And try to answer that sincerely. Try to answer that genuinely. Give thought before you answer. And ask yourself the question, you know, do, Trey, do you really adore Jesus Christ? And let me tell you what this means today. If you say that you do love Jesus, the question I'm really asking is this. Is every aspect of your life totally and completely surrendered to him? If you love me, you'll obey me. Are you being obedient in every aspect of your life? Some of you, you've played poker before, maybe not for money, but for fun. Um, You're Baptist, so a lot of you have probably played it for money. Um, (laughs) But you've played poker before, and you know uh, that, that one of the biggest gambles, if you will, in all of poker is to push all of your chips in the middle of the table. You're saying that the hand that I have to play, I believe, and I'm confident in, is better than every other hand at the table, So I'm going to push every chip I have into the middle of the table because I'm confident, that confident in my hand. Can you say that about your relationship with the the Lord? Like, are you so confident in who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you that you're willing to push every chip of your life in the center of the table and allow him to do with that whatever it is that he wishes and wills to do with that? That's what it means this morning to adore Jesus. It means every chip of our life is pushed into the center of the table. Now let me ask you this question for some of you this means if every aspect of my life is going to be surrendered to the Lord's will and way that means maybe for you what Jesus is asking is for you to start serving Man, you've been a faithful attender and spectator uh, on every Sunday that you can remember maybe the Lord's saying you know what for every chip to be pushed in in your life the next chip I need is for you to faithfully serve the church and maybe That's how you're going to answer this. If I'm unwilling to do that, can I really say that every chip of my my life is pushed into the center of the table? Maybe for you it's not that. Maybe for you it's to develop a practice of giving faithfully to the life of the church, practicing good biblical stewardship. Maybe if you're saying, you know what, I'm not ready for that, then you can't answer the question with an emphatic, resounding, yes, do you adore Jesus? Maybe it's just time for you to step into a life group. And I know that we have opinions and preferences that aren't usually rooted in Scripture. They're just our opinions and our preferences. And maybe for you, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the perfect time or for something to happen before you join the life of the church and become a covenant member or maybe even become a part of a life group. But you know that those opinions and preferences aren't convictions based on the Bible. So my question to you is, are you willing to take that next step? Are you willing to push that chip? of your life into the middle of the table. The question today is, do you adore Jesus? Now I know I came out of the gate pretty strong today, but I believe what you're going to see in Isaiah chapter nine will rattle your soul and it will cause you to wanna push everything in your life into the center of the table. I want you to consider this, okay? It's Christmas season and Christmas is all about God being born as a baby in Bethlehem, right? That's what we've been talking about, that's what we've been trying to keep our focus centered on, that this baby that Mary cradled is actually the creator of the world. Now, can you imagine this? Mary never had the opportunity to look her eight-year-old in the eyes and say, son, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. Because she's literally cradling the creator of the entire world in her hands. He was born a poor man, in a, in a terrible time, he was born in a barn, placed in a stable, and, out of, and, and he was born at a time when he had a government that was out of control. If you remember it in Matthew chapter 2, it was, I believe. I mean, what happened? As soon as he came onto the scene in Matthew chapter 2, King Herod wanted what? King Herod wanted Jesus dead. Like, where is this baby who, who claims to be king of the Jews? That was a title reserved for him alone, he thought. So, I want to find him and I want him dead. So, he was born in a time that was an out of control government. They were trying to kill him, yet, God, who was in complete control, by the way, appointed a chorus of angels to serenade him at his birth. When you consider the life of Jesus, you have to consider how big of a paradox his life actually was. Think about it Jesus would get hungry, yet, he would feed 5,000. Jesus would get thirsty. Yet he would walk on water. Jesus would get tired, yet he would be able to heal the sick, and he'd even be able to raise the dead. He would die the death of a criminal, yet he would triumph over death and power. Isn't he a good and a worthy God? That's who this baby is that was born in Bethlehem. In this mystery that we talk about even today is the story of our salvation. My salvation, your salvation, this, this baby born in Bethlehem, he was born son of man and he was born son of God. He was born son of man so that he could enter into our suffering, he could enter into our pain, he could enter into our sin and bear our sin for us. We placed all of our sin on him at the cross. He was born son of God because only God could save us. Nearly 1,700 years ago, an African theologian said it this way. He became what we are, which what he meant was sinful human flesh, so that, we might, so that he might make us what he is, which is an eternal son of God. See, see, because he was the son of man, he had nowhere to lay his head. But because he was the son of God, he could give billions shelter beneath his wings, See, because he was son of man, he would be betrayed by some of his dearest friends. But because he was a son of God, he would compel millions to leave everything that they had to follow him, even to the four corners of the earth. This Jesus that was born a baby in Bethlehem, he is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our adulation. He is worthy of our reverence and respect and awe and wonder. He's worthy, church family. Of our praise, And my goal this morning is to move you from spectating to participating in the praise and adulation of our King Jesus. That's what I hope we are able to do. So this morning, I want to answer this question for us, okay? What does a life of adoration actually look like? If you and I are going to be men and women of faith, of complete surrender to the Lord Jesus, if we're going to be women and men who place our entire lives into the hands of our Savior, what does that look like? actually look like. And I believe adoration begins when we look up and we acknowledge who Jesus really is in our very lives. Why? Why do I believe that adoration and even adulation begins when we look up and acknowledge who this great God really is? Here's why. Because, see, when God is big in our lives, our problems become small. But when our problems are big in our lives, God becomes small. And what I want to do this morning is, I want God to loom large in your life. I want you to see Him and focus on Him and know Him in the most intimate way possible. And we're hoping to get there by walking through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 this morning. Let me give you a little bit of context as to what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 9. The Assyrian Empire was growing, it was expanding. In fact, these Assyrians were poised and ready to take attack and defeat a weakened Israel. Israel is God's people. Eventually, Israel would be attacked. They would be invaded, they would be crushed, and they would be defeated. There would be loved ones who were brutally killed and they would have families who were stripped away from one another. Entire lives and entire families now are destroyed. Their land as they saw it and their belongings were now in ruin. A nation that was once proud has now been brought to its knees in anguish and in shame. And it's in the middle of this despair, it's in the middle of this weakness, it's in the middle of this moment that we receive a word from God. And that word is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's read that together this morning. It says this For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Isaiah says, for to us a child is born. A child being born speaks specifically of the earthly beginning of Jesus. Now you and I know that Jesus has always existed. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter one, you will see there that the word Elohim is a plural word, meaning that there were more parties involved. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son has always existed. This is the beginning of his time here on earth for us, for to us a child is born. But I love how Isaiah says for to us. What he's getting across there is that this child that is born This God that is now clothing himself in human flesh and living among us, this Emmanuel, he's for you. You receive the benefits of his being born into the world. You receive the blessing of his birth into the world. His birth into this world is for your good. It's for his glory, but it's also for your good. He says, to us, a son is given. I want you to notice how he repeats that phrase. For us, or for to us, a child is born. And then he says, to us, a son is given. Now, why would any author of any text emph- or, or place emphasis on something like that? He does it because he doesn't want you to miss it. He wants you to understand that this baby that's going to be born in a town called Bethlehem is your Savior, and the blessing is, is for you. It's, it's a gift for you. You need to realize that you aren't, uh, you aren't absent from the story that he's doing this for you. Now, it could have easily said a child is born. It could have easily said a son is given. But instead, he says, for us, a child is born. For us, a son is given. So the question now becomes is who? Is this child? Now we know who he is, but let's talk more specifically about who he is. It says it this way here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, there are over 250 titles for the Lord used throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, but Isaiah. Brings together four tight, concise, like puts it in a package, four descriptions of who this God is for you. In fact, all throughout Scripture, there's no other area of your entire Bible where this many names of God are are just kind of brought together. They're kind of packed together. And they are here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, wonderful. This emphasizes his deity. He says, counselor. This emphasizes his humanity. He says, mighty. That emphasizes his humanity. He says, God. That emphasizes his deity. He uses the word everlasting, to emphasize his deity, and then he uses the word father to emphasize his humanity. He uses the word prince, to emphasize his humanity, and then he uses the word peace, to emphasize his deity. You can see what Isaiah is doing. He's saying that this child that was born for you is son of God and he's son of man. Make no mistake about it. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the entire Christmas story packed in these four names of God. And we're going to walk through those four names this morning. The first one that he gives us, the first name he says is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. You know, a more literal translation of this, these words in, in the original language would be this: He's a wonder of a counselor. He's a wonder of a counselor. He is one who gives inexplicable counsel because he has unfailing wisdom. Only one who has unfailing wisdom can give inexplicable counsel, and only one who has that can be called wonderful counselor see you and i we can receive a lot of good counsel we can receive a lot of good counsel from our mom our dad good counselors we can sing counsel we can receive counsel from a friend a family member maybe just someone that we consider wise but there's only one place that we can receive wonderful counsel and that is from the lord jesus in his word See, the reason we need wonderful wisdom is because the wisdom of the world has absolutely failed us. It doesn't take long to realize that. The wisdom all around us has been inundated and infiltrated by sin, and we take our best shot and best jab at psychoanalyzing things and trying to give the best advice based on the life experiences that we have lived to one another, but even that sometimes fails us. There's only one place we can go where the counsel will not fail. And that's the word of God. See, wonderful is not a description of us. And sometimes I think we we mistake that. Sometimes we'll say, well, man, that person, they gave me such wonderful counsel. But wonderful is not a description of us. Wonderful is only a description of God. Why do I say that? By the way, do you do realize that the only time wonderful was ever attributed to anybody throughout scripture, it was only attributed to God for right reasons? because he's the only one who's truly wonderful. But wonderful is not a description of us, it's a description of Jesus. See, our sin, based on what the Bible tells us, has reduced me and you, and this isn't the pleasant part of the story, but it's reduced me and you to fools. That's what the Bible says. That you and I, because of the sin that's not only in the world, but the sin that's now in us, has reduced us to fools. And at the center of our foolishness is a complete denial and rejection of God. So we function as if we do not need God in our lives. We function as if we can do this on our own. But as the wonderful counselor, Jesus comes to, but what he does is what he does is he comes and he, he rescues fools from themselves. <laughs> That's something that we can't even do. Only he can do. This is why John says it when he says, uh, and the word became flesh. Well, who was the word? The word was God and the word was with God, right? But that that word, he became flesh. He did so because he was coming to do something that you were incapable of doing for yourself. You found yourself in this foolishness and you couldn't fix the foolishness. So the word became flesh, dwelt among us so that he could do for us and and as us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now let me explain that in, in human terms, okay? Sometimes I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. Is that right? 12 and 10? 12 and 10-year-old. Never, can't can't keep up. I have a 12 and a 10-year-old. And believe it or not, sometimes they can't get along. Probably more often than not, they can't get along. And what Kayla and I will hear downstairs is that they're fighting over a toy or a game or can't, you know, draw a conclusion or agree on something. They're doing something upstairs and they're starting to fight. They're starting to fuss and you can hear it, right? It's just escalating. It's not getting better. So what we'll do is we'll shout upstairs. We'll send our word. Ryland, Reagan, enough's enough. If you can't get alone, put the toy up, or we're going to take it away from you. You know, you start, you send your word. But there are times when our word has to become flesh. You know what I mean? It's not enough just to send the word upstairs. They still can't get it together and solve the problem. So we take our flesh upstairs, and we solve the problem for them the same thing is true, okay? God looks upon us and is like, man, I see the mess you've made, and I see that you can't find a remedy or solution to the mess you made. I've sent my word, my word's not enough, I'm coming in flesh, and I'm gonna take care of the mess you made. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. See, Jesus will be a supernatural source of extraordinary wisdom. He would do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's amazing news. For those of us who need guidance. Some of you this morning, you're walking through things that are thicker than the air. I mean, you know that there's no possible human solution to the things that you're walking through. And I wish this morning I could go on a tangent of describing each and every detail of the things that I know that people are walking through in this room. but, But I can't. But here's what I want you to know. You can seek the wonderful counsel of God. And the wonderful counsel of God will not fail you. He is trustworthy. He he is not going to be absent. He's not going to be distant. When you cry for him and you come to him, surely he will meet you there in the midst of the circumstance and problems that you guys are walking through. We need a wonderful counselor. And our wonderful counselor is waiting for us today. The second word that he uses to describe Jesus is not only wonderful counselor, he says he's mighty God he's mighty God this means that he is the hero God it means that he's the warrior God and I know sometimes we don't like to view God as a warrior but it doesn't matter what we like to do does it The, the truth is in the word and we have to understand that he is a God of goodness and he is a God of grace but he's also a warrior and sometimes his wrath does come out his judgment does come out in fact that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's the wrath that was released on Jesus at the cross of Jesus was really the wrath that we should have received because we were the ones who fell into sin and, and chose deliberately to rebel against God. But Jesus absorbed that wrath for us, praise the Lord. He's a hero God. He's a warrior God. It's the word of a champion when he uses these words, mighty God. He's one who faces unbelievable odds. But even when facing unbelievable odds, he defeats them all see this child born to us will be a divinely strong and powerful child you know when I started to think about that this week I was thinking about how powerful this God is and what's so remarkable about this is that not only is God good but he's also powerful that means anytime he displays his power he can't do so absent from his goodness and anytime he displays his goodness, he can't do so absent from his power. Every time he every time we see the power of God, it means it's good for us. And every time we see his goodness, it means his power is on display. Why does that why is that good? Because I'm weak. I'm absolutely weak. There are things that I'm incapable of doing. There are things, there are riddles I can't solve. There are circumstances that are brought into my life that are outside of my control. And quite frankly, no matter what I try to do, I can't find solutions to. And you know what this is like. Why is that important? Because that's why God is mighty. You turn to him because he's the only one who can do anything about that, especially when you're incapable of doing it. See, not only does our sin reduce us to fools, we talked about that a moment ago, but it also renders us unable to be who God created us to be. I can't be a a man who walks in the integrity of God's Word on my own. I can only be who God created me to be when I allow God, who lives in me now through the power of the Holy Spirit, to have freedom and access to do with me whatever He wishes and wants. So again, it goes back to my absolute surrender before Him. It renders us unable to do what God created us to do as well, but the might of God unleashed through jesus and through this babe in bethlehem the bible tells us that sin would be defeated it doesn't stop there though also not only would sin be defeated but he now also empowers us to be who god's called us to be that's that's why it's important to remember that you now you remember when jesus was getting ready to ascend and the disciples were frantic and they kind of feared they're like well jesus if you're going to go to heaven and you're going to leave us here on this earth how are we going to do the ministry that you've already started to do? Like, we don't have that within us. That's weakness. They recognize that if Jesus is not with them, then if God's not with them, then maybe we won't be able to do the things that God has been doing. People won't be able to get healed and we won't be able to put the glory of God on display the way, the way that you did, Jesus. Like, all these miracles that you perform, we can't do that. And what does Jesus say to them? Well, you can rest assured that there's another coming who's even greater than I, and he's not gonna walk beside you. He's actually gonna live inside of you, and when you tap into that power, you can do even greater things than I've ever done. Why? Because God's not only with us now in Christ Jesus, God lives in us, and he's there to live in us forever. See, he forgives sin, he defeats Satan, he liberates people from the power of evil, he redeems us from the power of sin, and he restores our broken soul And then he even reigns as Lord. And we, those of us who know him, reign with him for all eternity. Isn't that good news? So the might, the might of God lives now in you. He says he's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. The third thing he says is he's everlasting father. He's everlasting father. So Isaiah introduces us to a child who's also a daddy who's also a Father, capital F. Now remember, the title of Father is a description of who Jesus is to us. He says that twice. This is who Jesus is to us. He is the Father of eternity, and He is eternally a Father. He is fatherly, he is fatherly to His love and care. He is fatherly in His goodness and compassion. Like in every good way imaginable, this God is Father to us. Now, I understand that some of us are from familial backgrounds where the word father hits us the wrong way. Maybe we have a father who was largely absent from our lives, or maybe we have a father who was abusive as we were growing up, maybe we have a father who always diminished us and never built us up. Maybe we have a father who we longed uh, to be our hero, but he just never was there in order for that to take place. Some of you, you've been burned, you've been hurt, you've been wounded by that term father. But here's the beauty of this. Is everything that you've ever imagined a good father to be, that's who Jesus is to you. He's a father that doesn't leave. He's a father who does show up. He's a father who loves you and knows everything about you and even in the face of your failure, still pursues you anyway. He's a father who will never walk away from you but will always live with you as long as you continue to walk in faithfulness to him. That's who this God is to us. The Bible says that you and I are adopted into his family through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. What does that mean? It means that we are no longer separated and alienated and lost and alone. It means that all of us, if we've cried out for our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now sons and we're daughters of the King. You remember the Bible says that before our relationship with Jesus, we were children of wrath. We were enemies of God. But once we come to know him, he says, we're friends of God. We're sons, we're daughters of God. And I hope that this encourages you today to know that Jesus will care for his people forever as a father cares for his children. It's amazing news for those of us who are alone or maybe feel alone and feel unappreciated. We have a father who's good. We have a father who's perfect in Jesus Christ. He's always there, he's never absent. He's a provider, protector, and he's everlasting father. What that means, everlasting means he'll be there forever. There's never a day where he won't be with you. And that's the beauty of him being an everlasting father. So he's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. And finally this morning, I want you to see that he is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. How many of you would say that in the middle of a chaotic Christmas season, you could use a little prince of peace today? (laughs) Well, he's a prince of peace. He is the supreme giver of peace. He's not only the supreme giver of peace, the Bible says he is a prince of peace. See, our sin makes us enemies of God. We've talked thoroughly about that. Sin, it turns us inward. We become anti-social. We become anti-gospel. We become destructive in our own ways. We make better fighters because of sin than lovers. That's what sin does. But God had a solution. The Bible says that God would send us a gift. And this is a gift we could never achieve, this is a gift that we do not deserve, this is a gift of peace that's brought to us by God. And peace with God is the only way to ever truly experience peace with each other. You see, some of the reason that you and I don't have peace with one another is because we, are, we really aren't walking in peace with God. Have you ever noticed that in your life, that when you're not walking with God, all of a sudden the relationships around you begin to crumble too? Sometimes those relationships around you or how you relate to to others around you is a direct representation of how you relate to God as well. The Bible tells us that Jesus will bring deep well-being and right relationships through the peace that he has to offer. Amazing news again for the men and the women in this room who lack peace. I mean, let's look real quick at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. I want you to to know this verse, and maybe you can try to internalize and memorize this verse, but it's a good verse for you when you're thinking about, okay, Trey, I know that he's the prince of peace, but what kind of specific peace does he give to me? Well, look at Romans 5.1. It says he gives peace with God. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, you and I place our faith in the finished work of Jesus, who's done everything necessary for our salvation, that's justification there. And he says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of your salvation, because there was a baby born in Bethlehem, and if you've cried out for that baby to be your Savior, the Bible says you have peace with God. But let's look at Philippians, a couple of books over, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Not only does he give peace with God, but look what also it says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, and the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why is that significant? Because you and I, we're recipients of not only having peace with God, but we also get peace of God. We, we, now the Bible says, Paul says it, and the peace of God now lives within you. It resides within you. You have this. It's yours in Christ Jesus. And it surpasses all understanding and that will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So I love this about this this text of scripture, he gives peace between God and man, he gives peace between man and man, and he gives peace within man. Everything that you could have ever thought, every crevice of your life that you could have ever found, Jesus says there's peace there if you have me, or at least it's available to you. And I love how Isaiah kind of concludes, or not concludes, this text but look at verse 7 we read isaiah 9 6 it says for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace now watch verse 7 of the increase of his government and watch and of peace there will be no end again not only is he a father who will never fail and always be there because he's an everlasting father but he's also available, he's a prince of peace, and that peace is available to you forever and forever and forever for as long as you shall live. Cover these four names of God, of who he is. Now I wanna ask you this question, why does any of that matter? Why does it matter that this child born in Bethlehem shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of peace see some of you today you are on the fringe of fear when it comes to man if I'm gonna go all in this morning if I'm gonna totally surrender every aspect of my life to the Lordship of Christ that might mean for me I have to take the step of starting to serve I don't know where that time is gonna come from Calm your heart he's the Prince of Peace I don't know how I'm going to do that, how, how well I'm going to serve in that regard. Calm your heart. He's an everlasting father. He will usher you and walk with you every step of the way. And you can feel, you can feel in any, any situation or circumstance that's keeping you from taking that step. Maybe it's giving. Let's just use another one. Maybe for you, the Lord's like, listen, I'm ready for the chip of your life to be put in the middle of the table, be totally surrendered. I want you to develop good biblical practices on what good stewardship li- looks like in the way, you tra- or the way you manage your time, your talents, and even your treasure. I want you to do that. And you're probably a little bit skeptical about that because you're thinking, man, inflation's at an all-time high. This isn't the time. This isn't the season. It's Christmas. There's all these things going on. The Prince of Peace lives in you. He's not going to flee from you as you make this decision and you take this step. He's an everlasting father. He's going to hold your hand and walk with you through this and speak to you and you to him. That's how it works. He's the counselor, the, 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 the wonderful counselor, the wisdom that he's going to give and how he leads you. It's not going to fail you. It's not going to lead you down a road that, 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 that's too big for you. He's going to walk with you through that. You see how the names of God begin to actually infiltrate every single aspect of our lives. One year, I hope we can walk through every single attribute and characteristic of God together. I think it would blow our minds to see who this God really is. We did this one time before. I think it would be good for us to do it again. But my question to you today is, do you adore Jesus? Do you adore him? Is every aspect of your life totally surrendered to him? And if not, what's keeping you from taking your next step this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you're willing to admit, I just want to pray for you. You're willing to admit, you know what, Trey? If I'm honest with you, there are still some parts of my life that I have yet to surrender I mean, at one time, I, I went all in, but I've started to take some of those things back, and now those things are waging war against my soul, and I've noticed how maybe my, you know, my faithfulness to church or my faithfulness to my life group or my involvement in the community and the family of God, I've noticed how that's just dwindled. It's, at one time, it was like a firework. It went up, and it exploded, and it was bright, and everyone saw it, and all of a sudden, now it's just kind of slowly made its way back down, and nobody sees the light that I used to have. If that's you today and you're willing to admit that as a matter of us just praying for you, would you just simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? Okay, all over. Okay. I wanna pray specifically for you this morning. Father God, you saw the hands that were raised in this room of just people who are willing to admit to you that somewhere along the way, they've drifted away. And God, maybe they've tried to keep you as close as possible, but there's just been areas of their lives where they've just decided that they're gonna start making decisions, that they're gonna run and they're gonna rule. And today I pray, Lord, that you'll lead them to a place where they'll just admit that to you, a place of repentance where they'll just say, Lord, today I wanna push all the chips of my life into the center of the table. I wanna be all in in my relationship with Jesus. And God, I don't know what that means for them, but for some of them, it might mean service. Others, it might be giving. Others, it might be it's time to join the family of God, the the, the church. Maybe it's time to join a life group. Whatever the case may be, whatever next step they need to take, I pray you will lead them to do that even today as a a way of saying, not only am I willing to admit this, but I'm gonna take action today to start walking faithfully with the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you would admit, you know what? My life has been a bit chaotic and it has been a bit confusing and I've learned today that I haven't been tapping into the source of who God is. I've been trying to live this life on my own apart from Him. And today I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to give up and start walking with Jesus. I'm not talking about those of you who maybe are saved. I'm talking about those of you who have never given your faith, your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, Trey, just pray for me. I'm recognizing that the reason there is this big mess of of my life is because I haven't invited the word into it. I haven't invited Jesus into it. I haven't totally surrendered to him as the Lord of my life. And if you're here today and you say, that's where I'm at, would you simply raise your hand? I just want to pray for you again. Okay. Father, for the few hands that went up admitting that, that there are people here today that don't know you. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them even today to take their next step and give their lives to you. Father, we're incapable of saving. We're incapable of drawing hearts to you. Only you do that. So we're asking you today, Lord, would you do that? Would you bring hearts and bring lives to you in a powerful way? God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.